0: The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now.
1: This episode is sponsored by the new and improved Financial Independence Calculator found at thewealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. One of the driving forces of human beings is freedom, which infers financial freedom too. So several years ago, I set out to discover how any individual, regardless of their financial situation, could evaluate their finances in five minutes or less and have a firm date when they could achieve financial independence. The latest version of this calculator, which is free for listeners, can be found at the wealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. The calculator is going to take you just a few minutes to complete, and it's going to provide you with a specific financial independence date. So go check it out today. The following five episodes are with businessman, investor, doctor, and now author, Tim Reynolds. The interview was in person, it was in my office. And so if you're listening to the episodes and want to watch the videos, just go head over to thewealthstandard.com and it'll have a link there. When the five segments are complete, we're gonna post the entire interview on our YouTube channel. So make sure you check that out. So a little bit about Tim Tim is a former green beret in the special forces. He was a medic and also battalion surgeon. He graduated from Texas A&M with his medical degree, and his specialization was emergency medicine. He was an emergency room doctor for several years, and then also started or co-started a company called Healthcare Express. He currently has locations, I believe 15 or 16 locations throughout Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana. And most recently, he has his book. You guys can check it out on Amazon. It's called Living Every Minute. It's also on Audible. He reads the Audible audiobook. Tim is an amazing guy He's one of the first original Platinum Partners with Tony Robbins. He has a love and zest for life. It's throughout his book. It's gonna be throughout this interview. You can imagine that in the roles that he's played, he has experienced firsthand the fragility of life. And he's gonna share some of those experiences throughout these five segments. Now, I wanna forewarn you, this is a PG-13-ish interview, there's some colorful language, and there's also some relatively graphic stories that Tim tells. But you guys are going to experience him, his heart, his passion for life. You can uh, check his website out. It's livingeveryminute.com. He has some personal development programs and courses and a lot of other resources that you will want to check out. So go ahead over there. And without further delay, let's start episode one with my dear friend tim reynolds taking a break from the show i want you to know about a course i created for successful real estate investors that i'm making available to my podcast audience for free you guys know that stupid business and real estate investment decisions almost cost me everything in 2009 and 2010 And since then, it's been my mission to teach you listeners the invaluable lessons I learned during this strenuous time so you don't have to experience those same lessons. Perpetual Wealth Real Estate is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy I use personally with all of my real estate investments to ensure a profitable transaction and maximize the overall return. The Perpetual Wealth Real Estate course is my gift to you. Register today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash R-O-I. Again, the URL is thewealthstandard.com forward slash R-O-I, Romeo, Oscar, Indigo. What led to the title and maybe describe what the philosophy is of that title? Sure.
2: So Living Every Minute is kind of something I came up with probably 20 years ago. And the concept or the idea was the past is gone. It's a great place to learn from, but it's gone. There isn't anything you can do about it. And yet so many people live there or dwell there. It's not a great place to live. It's a nice place to visit, but it's not a nice place to live. It's a great place to learn from. The future is unknown. Today, maybe this might mine your last interview, right? And there's an earthquake or we leave here, the building falls down. This is it. We never know. And so the future is uncertain. It's something we should plan for. Right? Because if it's coming, your business of all businesses knows you need to have a plan for that. But it's also not a place you want to live. The whole living every minute philosophy is learn from the past, plan for the future. And then once you've done those two things, spend your time living right now. Every minute, in this minute, in this time, because this is the only
1: day we get. As far as we know, this is it. And when I would, I'm making this as an assumption that being an emergency room doc. I mean, this wasn't your average family practice where you had this nope. routine thing. I mean, like you didn't know what to expect on a day-to-day basis. Never and yet. some of the stories you tell, I mean, it pulls on the heartstrings, right? Yeah. Some of the kids' stories, some of the older, like depressed people's stories. Yeah. So how did your experience as an emergency room doc, like, is that what kind of created or played a part in yeah, that? Yeah, certainly a big part. I would see people who would come in and
2: I would think, you know, I was putting the philosophy together in my head at that time. I didn't have it completely... Uh, but I would think, oh my gosh, I hope they kissed him goodbye this morning, you know? They were in a fight and then he took off in the car and killed himself, right? Or we had a guy who came in, this isn't in the book, he went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have prostate cancer, right? Well, for those of you who don't know, prostate cancer is a very slow growing, you'll have prostate cancer for 20, 30 years sometimes. Usually you'll die of something else before you die of prostate cancer. All this gentleman heard was cancer. Went home, took his forty-five, went, drove out in a field, shot himself in the head. And I was just like, man, I hope we remember to tell everybody. And so the whole philosophy, I would just see case after case like this of these tragedies that would happen, as you say. And you just start realizing this really is the only day. I just, you just don't know. It's the only minute. It's the only one we have. It's the only one we know about for sure. And so if you waste this minute or this day or this time living, regretting something you did or wishing you would have done something else, or you're so obsessed about what might happen, which is our society today, right? Oh my gosh, what might happen? What does this mean? Then you forget to have the gratitude
1: for where you're at. Right? It comes to, I would say, just our perspective of life in this day and age where we think we're gonna live forever, right? There's examples of people yep. everywhere, yep. right? That we have medicine, we have preventative yep. things. Life isn't as dangerous as it was right. even 50, 60 years ago. But then you have stories that we hear, but nobody really realizes it. And they say, okay, that'll never happen to yep. me. And therefore they do think as far as the future is concerned, they dwell in the past. Yep. They don't yep. operate in the moment.
2: Well, the antithesis, particularly during this last year and a half, right, is everybody's so afraid that, oh my gosh, they went from thinking they were gonna live forever to now thinking that just walking past somebody's gonna kill them. And so both those two are bad. We have this great moment that we're in right now that we can live, Here, nobody leaves here alive. We're all dying. So let's enjoy the time we have, the gifts we're given. God gives us our health and our body and where we live and our family. And we give back to God the things we do with those things. Mm-hmm. What do we make of those things? What do we do with those things? So that's yeah. really the living every minute philosophy.
1: So what are maybe some of the other major impact points of your life that kind of led you down the path to some of the careers? That you Certainly had? one of
2: the biggest was, I'm the oldest of six kids. My dad was a truck driver. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. And so we didn't have a lot of money. But the good news is nobody around us had any money either. So we didn't know we didn't have any money, right? But I became obsessed with this idea over time, especially as I got into high school, et cetera. I was like, I don't like being poor. Like, I don't like it. I can do it. But I see people with this abundance. And I never went through the period where I hated those people. I went through the period of thinking, how do I get that? How do I get some more of that? So I became obsessed with the idea of how do I do that? How do I get to that point? So I think that was a big thing that led my life. I remember at 18 years old, telling my girlfriend at the time, she said, what are you gonna do with your life? And here I am 18, right? I don't know where I came up with this. I said, I think I'd like to be a doctor. I think I'd like to travel the world. I'd like to own a ranch with like horses and cows. I'd never been on a ranch. I'd like to have a house in the mountains. I'd like to have a house on the beach. She said, you already thought of all that? And I'm like, no, just right now. That's what I just decided. Those are the five things I want to do. And I I started thinking about those five things. Oh, and I want to build an empire, financial empire. Those are my six things. And so I just like literally now I look back 40 years later, that's kind of what I did. And it's amazing to me. I didn't have any benefit of anybody else. My mom had me when she was 16 years old. My dad was 16. I'm the first Reynolds in the history of my family to graduate from high school, let alone go to college, right? And so it's not like I had some advantage, but I became obsessed with the idea. And 40 years later, here I have a financial empire. We have a house in the mountains. We have a house on a beach. We have a ranch with horses and cattle i'm a doctor and we traveled the world been to 65 countries
1: So, new. what kept the fuel going in that obsession i
2: think a hunger just always being hungry for what else could we do how else could we create i think when a lot of people say they don't like to work hard i was the opposite i was always i thought if i'm awake i might as well be working work was my friend i mean if you think about it Work's gotten you everything you have. Why would that not be your best friend? Everything I have came from W-O-R-K. And so I didn't become scared of work. It became my friend. Now I learned how to moderate that later on. But in the beginning, it was full speed. You how to work. Yeah, it was full. I know how to work. I can outwork you. And I remember when I started college, I'd already been in the military. So I came back as behind. I was already 22, going on 23 and I remember going up to the school, I didn't know anything about college. This is a funny story, it's not in the book. I didn't know anything about college. And I lived actually here in Salt Lake. I lived on 9th East and 1st South, in a little 400 square foot apartment. And I had a car, it was a 1968 Chevelle convertible, beautiful car, I got it. My dad got it when he was in Vietnam and I bought it from him, drove it all the time. I was in the military, came back. So I drove up to college, up to the University of Utah. I walked in the admissions office and I said, I wanna to go to college, what do I have to do? <laughs> and she said, Well, first of all, you have to get your high school transcripts. I said, I can do that. She said, you have to get your ACT score. I said, I don't know what that is because I went to the high school where they don't do that because nobody goes to college for my high school. And so she tells me what it is. And I said, okay, do I need to study for it or what is it? And she said, well, you can, but there's, when can I take it? She said, well, you can take it tomorrow if you want. I said, all right, I'll take it tomorrow. (laughs) So I go in the next day, I take the ACT test. I did really well, weirdly, been out of school for five years. And I said, okay. And she said, now we got the transcripts. And now here's what you got to do. And so I said, okay, so can I start school on Monday? I didn't know there was semesters that you had to wait. So she said, no, no, no. You got to wait till the semester. I knew nothing about college. I just knew I wanted to go. So she says, all right. So I got everything arranged, got it all hooked up. And she said, I said, how much is tuition? She said, $1,600. Wouldn't it be nice for $1,600 now? This is in 1980. It's $1,600. Yeah, this is 1984, right? <laughs> And $1,600 tuition for the semester. It was, they were quarters back then. $1,600 for the quarter. And I said, all right, she might as well have said $16 million. I don't have any money. And so I went and I called a friend of mine. and I said, hey, you still want that 1968 Chevelle? And he's like, yeah. And I said, $1,600. He said, done. And I went over and gave me $1,600 cash. I drove up to the University of Utah. and had her $1,600 cash. And so I switched. I just always thought to myself, you just find a way. Just find a way. And so I didn't know I was gonna pay for the next semester, but then I knew I had to, so I just started getting jobs and just one thing led to that.
1: Of course, I I assume that you had obstacles along the way, right, where it was like $1,600. I mean, were there points in business where you, you had this vision and you had this grandiose plan and it was fight pretty hard for it, that work maybe wasn't the only variable that led to success? Yeah,
2: I think the thing we underestimate, I'm sure you know this as well, is we underestimate how much we fail. Because when we look back, we only like talking about the things we succeeded at. But I would bet if I look in my business career or just in my life, I've failed at 80% of things I've tried. At least. But that 20% was
1: worth it. That fuels. It was worth it. Because
2: I've probably tried 20 different businesses and I've probably tried... 200 different things in each of those businesses and most of each of those things within those businesses fail. But when you catch on to something succeeds, then you keep doing that thing, right? And then you say, hey, you know what would be a great idea? And it turns out to not be a great idea. (laughs) But it sounds like, because if you take 10 things and they all look the same and you say, you know what, this could be good. This could be good. This could be good. Let's go down this path. Here's what's going to happen. Two of them are going to be dogs. Six of them are just going to sit there and not do much. And two are going to be great. But you can't tell in the beginning which of those tenants is going to do those things. And so I hate it when people try something and then they say, ah, I already tried that. It's not going to work. I'm like, yeah, 99 not to do it. It's Thomas Edison. I you know 9,999 A's, the light bulb won't work. And so now I'm going to make the tenth. I had a guy actually here who came up to me and he said, You'd like to invest in real estate? I said, Yeah. He said, Is real estate the best investment? I said, The best investment is whatever you're good at. I said, But He said, I would never do real estate. And I said, why not? He said, I bought two houses. They were rental properties. Found out after I bought them, the roofs were bad. Had to replace the roofs. I never got my money. I said, so you know how to inspect roofs now. Good job. You're the perfect guy to go buy two more
1: places. But he would never do it. So you have some programs we'll we'll get to that you coach people. You take people through experiences based on your experiences. What do you find as the biggest obstacles that hold people back? Because I think people want... These end results and there's where they're at right now. But then the gap in between. There's so what's fear. Fear they're of what? so scared. I think fear of
2: failure. Mm-hmm. I think people are so afraid. Just it's the very thing we just talked about. People don't realize that every single thing you're good at. At one time you were bad at. From tying your shoe to eating with a fork. First time you tied your shoe, you sucked at it. But you just kept tying your shoe and tying your shoe and tying it until now. You don't even think about it when you tie your shoe. Right? And that's how we get better at something. I love this analogy. When I give a talk, I'll say, All right, how many in this room speak a foreign language? Usually about 10% of the room raise their hand, unless you're in Utah and that's everybody. And so 10% are and I say, All right, so how many would like to? And everybody raises their hand. And so I say, All right, well, let me ask you a question. Why don't you speak a foreign language? Is it because there's not enough apps? Is it because there's not enough classes? You can't find an internet site that teaches it? I mean, There's millions of ways to learn a language. So why do 99% of people want to learn one, but only 10% of people know one? And it boils down to one thing. If you think about it, you don't want to look stupid. And in order to learn a foreign language, you have to look stupid for a while. You're not going to sound good. You're going to sound terrible. But in order to learn it, you have to sound terrible until you get better. And I think that's a great analogy for everything we do in life. I was really bad at writing this book. Like, terrible at it. It took me a lot longer than it should. I knew I had a book in me that needed to come out. And so I sat at my house in Jackson Hole and literally just typed for 20 days. I wrote the whole book in 20 days. Unfortunately, it was all over the place. It was all over the place. There was no chapters. There was no organization. Yeah. And so the editing took two years. (laughs) because that's not the way to do it. The way you do it is you do an outline and then you decide what chapters you're going to have. If I were going to do it again, that's how I would do it. But I just unloaded everything I teach for the last 20 years and just type, 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 type. And I was like, with this mess of 200 pages, I didn't know what to do with.
1: Thank you for listening to The Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com. For appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.